Welcome to Behind the Buyouts, the deals podcast where we sit down with venture capitalists, private equity pros, and company executives to drill down into their capital raising transactions and acquisitions. Today, we're joined by Andrew Olenek, partner, managing director, and co-head of the North American private equity team for London-based private equity firm 3i Group PLC. Andrew will talk about some of his favorite deals and how 3i fits into a trend of private equity firms such as Eurasio, CVC, EQT, and others setting up shop here in the U.S. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure. By way of introduction, Andrew has been with 3i since 2007. He received a BS from the Leeds School of Business at the University of Colorado at Boulder and an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Andrew, tell us a bit about how you ended up in private equity. Well, I came out of college right after the dot-com crash and was supposed to go work at JP Morgan to start an analyst program there. And they ended up deferring uh, our entire analyst class. So I just moved to New York, wanted to get going. And so I met as many people as humanly possible and ended up meeting a guy named Strauss Zelnick, who was just starting uh, Zelnick Media Capital uh, from scratch. And he ended up offering me a job to go do it, uh, to go work in private equity directly out of college, which is obviously hard now, and loved it. And uh, got off to a good start there and turned down JP Morgan when they came back trying to get me to join a year later and, uh, and started my career in private equity. Yeah, what kind of deals did you work on at Zelnick? I think I remember that name from a few a few deals back. Yeah, uh, so Zelnick was a firm that was focused on really turning around media companies that were underperforming. Strauss was the guy who had run uh, BMG Burlesman Music Group, and so we we worked on all sorts of things from catalog marketers to looking at larger technology based companies that that were in need of a turnaround, and then. Uh, when we were successful, we would all go in and work in the company for a period of time. Uh, so it was a really interesting experience. Really learned a lot about how how difficult it is to do what you put in the model in reality. So it was a great first mm. uh, first private equity experience. And the media business can be very complex. So it's 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 probably a good. It was a good training ground for you to kind of get ready for that. So then you joined Three uh, I in two thousand and seven. Why did you decide to work for a London based firm and not a U.S. firm? I really looked at it as a, a global firm. So I was at a firm called VSS at that time, sector-focused, business services, tech, media, fund, mostly all U.S. presence, a little bit of presence in the U.K. And it was at that point in time where I felt that private equity was really needing to up their game, uh, really add more to their portfolio companies. And uh, through I was a very global firm and I thought and operated in the middle market. And I thought that was a really interesting proposition uh, where we could really help companies globalize and really, really add value. And so I was really attracted to the global platform and also the opportunity to uh, to help create something from scratch in the U.S. And also the global nature of it, did that kind of appeal to you as well in the sense that you like to travel? I do love to travel. Traveled an absolute ton of 3 eyes. So I've seen lots of parts of the world and that did appeal to me. Yeah, I think um, uh, yeah, obviously very global world and being able to get around and see you know, com- companies all across the world also just makes you a better investor. So yeah, absolutely. And we'll get to the impact of COVID later on those travels, <laughs> those travels that you like to do so much. So why do you think so many European and other overseas PE firms are opening shop here in the US? Uh, what does 3i offer that others don't? And how many people are working uh, in North America on your team? And how does 3i divide up the work? A bunch of questions in there, but let's just start with the idea of, you know, we are seeing other European shops, you know, setting up, uh, setting up offices here in the US. 3i was one of the earlier ones, but uh, there have been other ones coming in. So let's start with that. 
Yeah. So a lot in that question, let's start with the why, why is the uh, U.S. so attractive for European private equity firms? Look, I think it's it's a really interesting market. It has some real structural advantages in, as opposed to Europe. So it's obviously one big market that's relatively homogenous. And so you can get some real scale in the U.S. Uh, or as opposed to Europe, it is very regional. You have the different languages and currencies. And so it does make it harder to get true scale. Also, I think what we found over the 13 years, or certainly I think what 3i has found, is that the market is competitive. Yes, there's a lot of valuation intensity and, and competitive process intensity, but it's such a big market that deals do fall through the cracks. And so there is opportunities to find proprietary deals. And we'll talk later, I'm sure, as we talk about some of the deals, but we've been very successful in finding uh, deals even without bankers and, and on a totally proprietary basis. So I think people see that. You know, I think why is Thrive different and why we've been successful over 13 years? We're really one firm. We've spent a ton of time trying to not make it a U.S. business or a European business, but a global business. We're all in one partner group, one carry scheme, one you know. So we all win together, lose together, kind of thing. And it's really made it very seamless for us also to add value to our company since we all really share in each other's successes. And so that's really helped. The other thing I'd say is we're a mid-market firm. And a lot of our competitors are larger cap firms, uh, the European firms that are setting up shop in the U.S. And so there are not very many global mid-market private equity firms. So what we're offering to our portfolio companies is uh, has been and still remains unique. So what, what is 3i? What does the name mean, 3i? Investors in industry. It doesn't actually mean that anymore, but that was the oh. origin of it. Uh, That's the origin of it? For more than 70 years, yeah. And just, and just to kind of clarify to, to our audience, when, when private equity folks talk about proprietary deals, that usually means outside of a traditional auction process. So you're not like in there with hundreds of other bidders trying to like, you know, outbid a million other people or not a million, but so many other people. And uh, so, and you want to build relationships with companies over time. And uh, is that kind of, is that correct? Is that kind of my, that's, that's, my, Absolutely. that's my take on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So those can create more value over time if you get, you know, because it's all about striking up the right kind of chemistry with the with the target company, and, and so you can work with them. There, so, yeah, there's multiple. There's multiple. I'd say there's multiple benefits to that kind of situation, Steve. I mean, ultimately, you know, the more you know a business, and if and we found this, if you know them over time, you can really see how they perform and get to know them. So you've got kind of relationship element. You've got the visibility on the business how it does. Uh, I think also importantly, you know, time is pretty precious in our industry as it is in most. Uh, and so really being able to pick your spots where you have a high probability of winning is important as well. So if you've got that relationship with dialogue, it's helpful versus, you know, when you're in an auction, you may be one of six or seven parties hoping to win. And so there's by definition five or six losers in that equation. It sounds like an episode of The Bachelor or something like that. Um, <laughs> Not so dissimilar. Yeah. So how many people are working in, in North America and how does uh, 3i divide up their work? I know there's also a debt side of the business too, so I'm not sure if that's part of the equation as well. So we're, we're today, we, we actually, 3i sold the debt business a, a number of years ago. It's in uh, okay. So, so I'm, today I'm, I'm behind we, on that. Okay. We, but, but we are, today we're 15-ish uh, uh, people on the private equity side, about seven on the infrastructure side. Um, and uh, we, we do divide up the work by, you know, those different businesses. So, a private equity team and an infrastructure team. And then within private equity, uh, we're really sector focused within those. So we we divide up the work. We, we lead two of the sectors out of the, the New York office. So the business and technology services sector, which I lead for the firm, and the healthcare sector, which uh, my colleague Rich Relier leads for the firm. 
we have sector teams focused on those global sector teams, but also people that focus on those within uh, within the office. But we also focus on industrial tech as well. And we're really very focused within those sectors as well. I mean, those are broad sectors. So we can we can spend more time on this, but in business and tech services, we're really focused on really high value outsourcing businesses and software companies. And then within healthcare, we've done a lot in med tech and uh, and life sciences and contract research outsourcing organizations. Right, right. So those are middle market companies. Those are not consumer facing companies. Those are mostly business to business type companies. And um, what's the sort of the dollar range of, of what you're looking at? Yeah. So in New York, we've done all B2B, you're right. So business to business companies, uh, no consumer, although we do do consumer in Europe and have been successful there. Uh, dollar range, about 100 to $500 million per new investment in terms of enterprise value, typically invest between 100 and 300 million dollars in any new deal. We're public and we have permanent capital. So we do have a lot of flexibility in terms of how much capital we can put into any new deal, and importantly how much we can put into add-ons as well. We've been very active on the add-on front. And then as I alluded to, a lot of our deals have been backing founders and entrepreneurs and typically in situations where there's some sort of international growth component where we can really add value. Yeah, I'd like to add that a lot of uh, private equity firms are doing cross-border deals now. That's kind of a deal type. They they can offer a lot of uh, complexity, but it also allows companies to move into new markets. And you know, I can see why a European firm would want to come to the U.S. because it's you know we're one of the, we're still the largest economy in the world, so it's a big part of the global picture. But you know, as you're going out and doing these types of transactions, do you ever run into uh, you know any of the image problems that private equity might have? Some people may think that private equity is not out to create jobs; they may be out to lay people off and cut costs. So let me put you on the spot here: Do you create more jobs than you reduce? That's a really interesting question, Steve. You know, look, I, I'm still kind of amazed when I read articles that frame private equity firms as buy, as, as just what you said, buying companies that are in trouble, turning them around, cost cutting, the kind of the leverage playbook, so to speak. I, I mean, yeah, there's a there's a handful of turnaround firms that that do that. But I mean, it's become such a massive industry with so much variation that I think that really describes a small part of the market today. I think we need to talk more about some of the things we're doing to grow and improve companies on a global scale. I'm sure we'll talk more about this as we go through, but we've I mean, we've helped create some pretty massive sized companies that have grown a ton under ownership. The uh, the actions of the world, one of the largest discount retailers in Europe, Element company I'm involved in, I was involved in that we exited a few years ago where we quadrupled the size of the business. Uh, Quintiles became the large world leading CRO. I and mean, those companies all created tons of jobs. Uh, and that's that's kind of our investing style is to really grow global companies. Well, that's how the that's how you make money. I mean, you make money by growing a company. You don't grow. You don't you don't make money by by um, by cost cutting. You have to invest in it. So that makes sense. As a deal maker, what are the challenges and rewards of cross border deals? Because those are a big component of what Three I does. Let, let's start with the rewards, and then we can go into the challenges. I mean, the rewards about glo- about creating a global company, especially when it was in a single market before, is obvious. You you really increase the market size, right? So, I mean, if you're able to do that, then I mean, you 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 create a longer runway for growth. You increase your addressable market. Obviously, you create more ability to acquire companies, and so there's lots of great companies that are outside the U.S. or Europe that that you could go and acquire. And I think all that leads to more exit value when you get it right, because you've created a company with a lot more runway for growth. 
for a long period of time. The, the cons are you create a lot more complexity with the global business. I think a lot of companies start in the U.S. and they think, why not just keep growing in the U.S.? It's very easy. It's a homogenous market. Uh, I can just keep doing what I'm doing. I'll go into Europe later. I'll go into Asia later. And why do they do that? They do that because you know you, you have to deal with things like FX and currencies and international regulation and, and things like that, that that really actually sound simple, but uh, take a lot of energy to, to get right. And so what we've done is really try to help. We've done it multiple times. And so we know what issues to focus on. We know what you need to do to build your platform to be successful there. And then we help the companies do that and take that complexity out, which hopefully gets the benefits we talked about without all the cons that, that I just have mentioned. Right. Yeah. So that makes that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's talk about some specific deals that you've worked on. Well, let's talk about Magnitude Software and how you won that transaction in an age of high valuations for the software businesses and competitive processes that we're talking about, these competitive auctions. Yeah, Steve, it's a, it's a good question. Look, as we talked about earlier in the interview, you've really got to pick your spots to be successful. And when we talk about picking our spots, we're, we're talking about really in the subsector or theme area, so very deep. And within the software space, one of the areas we thought that was really interesting was the ERP software space. There's obviously some very large players there, the Oracles, the SAPs of the world. Companies spend a ton of money to install SAP, Oracle, or any other large-scale ERP system but then often struggle to get all the value they want out of it, given how complex those systems are. So we had a thesis that there must be companies, software companies that can sit on top of those systems and really enhance the usability and functionality of those systems and help companies kind of realize the full potential they expected when they, when they put those systems in. And so we, we, uh, we developed a thesis, we met a number of executives, and we, we basically really believed in that thesis. We looked at a couple of businesses and we heard about Magnitude and it was being sold in the process, uh, but we had a differentiated view in terms of the attractiveness of that business and what it would become, which really enabled us to acquire the company and feel comfortable doing so in a, in a competitive situation. So um, ERP means enterprise resource planning. It's another kind of business type software. So Magnitude Software would fit into that space, you said, and it sort of helps companies with their operations and, and what they're focused on and helps, I guess, improve efficiency, right? Correct. Yeah, it helps them get things like a better view on their supply chain or use SAP to really more efficiently handle their accounting, uh, get journal entries inputted in a, in a better, faster, cheaper type way, things like that. Yes. So Andrew, how many deals have you worked on? And what do you think is one of your favorite deals? Oh, I've, I've been doing private equity for uh, it's got to be at least 20 years now. So I've done lots of them. Um, one, one of my favorites, it's got to be one where we, uh, we did well on. So I'm going to pick a successful one. Don't fault me for it. Um, That's okay. Element, <laughs> uh, element materials technology, and I, and I raise it just because it was it really I think played to all of the uh, the three I elements. It was a company we bought. Uh, at, it was actually owned by a Dutch company, primarily a U.S. business. Uh, the management team was in the U.K. It was in the testing space, so they do what's called testing, inspection, and certification. They basically help uh, make sure that supply chains are operating safely, test different materials that are that are come through those supply chains to make sure they're safe. We carved it out. It was owned by another company, created a new strategy. We backed the management team 
And it, it was pretty amazing. I mean, they, the, the management team really grabbed the opportunity. They saw an opportunity to both invest in the business organically, create new labs, buy other labs that they felt would service their customers better. And we were able to make 10 acquisitions over a five-year period and uh, really quadruple the profit of the business and, and sell it to another private equity firm. One of the things I loved about that deal uh, was the management team really made the most of the opportunity. They were in a, a division of a larger business before. I don't think they ever thought that uh, they were going to be bought by private equity and have the opportunity to really create a, a new company from scratch and, and realize their vision for it. And we came along and they grabbed it and they flourished. And so to your earlier question about this private equity create value and grow companies, I think that's a, a really great example of one where uh, where we did. So yeah, there's a few things that you that you mentioned there that are that are pretty popular in private equity playbooks. The carve out transaction is when you take a business from a bigger company and you set it up as a standalone business, and then you, you know, you'll buy companies to add on to it to make it bigger and grow it, and uh, and then you'll grow organically at the same time. So that's all the things in the playbook that you guys were able to do, and it worked out really well in that case. And you have to work really well with the with the with the management team, and it all worked really well. But you mentioned that you do like to travel. And I'm thinking you're not really doing a lot of traveling right now yet. 3i just announced a $120 million equity investment in Wilson HCG, which the HCG stands for um, Human Capital Human Group. Capital, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that was an, a deal you announced very, very recently. How are you able to do this? And I, I understand it took years to, to kind of get this transaction together. So walk us through that. Yeah. So Wilson HCG is a company that primarily does what's called RPO or recruitment process outsourcing services. And so basically what they do is they help companies improve their recruiting, typically by managing the recruiting function for them entirely. So they'll actually come into the company and basically take over their recruiting function. It's a very interesting space, obviously very important in, in for most companies that are in a war for talent, trying to get the best people they can. And Wilson and other RPO players help them do that. We like to spend some time thinking through which spaces are likely to do really well over a long period of time. Uh, and we identified RPO as one of those that had some very favorable macro trends uh, a number of years ago. As part of our sector work, we met John Wilson, the founder and the team at Wilson HCG, you know, multiple years ago and developed a relationship with them and have really watched the company flourish over a number of years. And yeah, you're right, Steve, in terms of being able to do deals in COVID, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, we've, we've seen our pipeline go way up, but you really want to invest in companies you know, and you know the team. So it really helped here that Wilson was looking to find another partner. Uh, so we, we were able to uh, be, be that partner, but we also had the confidence to pursue the, this during the COVID era because we had gotten to know the team over multiple years and knew the business very well. So this is another one of those proprietary situations we talked about earlier in the call where we negotiated a deal with the management team and the sponsor, CIP Capital, outside of any process. So there's no banker involved. And given our sector experience, we're able to do that without, you know, fully outside of process. 
Right. So, and so that, so that's, that's a deal that you've been able to get done. You had, it does take a long time to cultivate these transactions. So your deal pipeline is pretty good for 2021, despite COVID. Because you've, you know, I'm just wondering how many of these kind of conversations are you, are you holding with people, you know, in a given year? I mean, how many companies are you kind of looking at and talking to? And, and I guess the fact that you're just doing that all, all the time didn't really impact your pipeline, your deal pipeline very much. So it's interesting. I'd say getting the pipeline built is probably easier in the COVID era than ever before. And that might seem a little counterintuitive or surprising, but I think people are anchored down. They're not traveling. You have Zoom. And so you also have all these investment banks that are doing tons of virtual conferences. So you're, you're really actually able to meet and interact with a lot of companies, probably more than you could before. The challenge is how do you really get to know those companies and, and drive discussions forward in this year without being able to get on a plane and go spend time with them, which I think is where most people are more comfortable. So given we've been in our sectors for a long period of time, we have a number of companies we've known for a long period of time, and we can advance those. And I think we'll come out of this year with you know, a very large pipeline of new opportunities that we met during COVID, which will be natural places for us to travel to uh, once we have our shots and can get back on planes. Uh, where do you think the first places you're going to go? Probably the West Coast or uh, Europe or something? You probably have to go to London. I mean, I probably haven't been traveling very much, right? I have, I've been on one business trip uh, in a year. Uh, I went to Atlanta for a day once. Uh, other than that, I haven't been anywhere. Yeah, I'm sure we'll go to London. It would be nice for the partner group to get back together. We've been, again, we've spent a lot of time together on Zoom. So we've actually spent yeah. a lot, seen each other a lot. But it will be nice to see them again. And then I've got a number of portfolio companies where we've done Zoom for a long period of time, places like Boston. Now I have one in Tampa and uh, Austin. And so we'll definitely be trying to get to go visit those guys. And then, I mean, at some point, we need to get some beach time somewhere warm as well, since we've been holed up in, uh, in New York. So hopefully get some vacation in there somewhere nice as well. There, there was a funny comment from an executive at Apollo. He said, I, I took a sabbatical, I went nowhere, and I did nothing. So it's just like... It's, like, it's so a tough time we're... to take a sabbatical, right? <laughs> you know, in the COVID era, the timing is not ideal. Andrew, are you thinking more about issues around diversity and ESG nowadays? That's environmental, social, and governance issues in your deal-making and within your portfolio. Yeah. So we, we were an early thinker on this. We focused on it for a long period of time. We started off probably more on the environmental, um, looking at the environmental impact. But we've, uh, we've really broadened it over the last three or four years to focus on all of the ESG areas. We look at it very closely for any new deal and look at it uh, in terms of how the company performs. And we also look at it very rigorously for every portfolio company. We have a matrix we look at twice a year across all of the dimensions. And we're always looking for ways for the portfolio companies to improve on everything from environmental to diversity and track it pretty closely. We are also seeing a lot of new deals that really benefit from sustainability trends as well. And we're definitely looking for places to invest that are kind of really well positioned from that regard. You know, we've seen some things recently, even in like the packaging space, which doesn't jump off the page as being sustainable with some really innovative solutions that they really have enhanced sustainability. So we're, we're looking at it from all angles, looking to improve all the companies we own, but also looking to invest in companies that are leaders in sustainability as well. I've definitely seen a lot of packaging deals uh, out there. So that's, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of an interesting space right now, actually. So just to get a little bit more acquainted, Andrew, what's a fun fact about you? 
So I'm a, I'm a pretty diehard LA sports fan. So I grew up in Los Angeles and uh, haven't been able to shake that. Uh, so it was a good, it was a good year for, uh, for LA sports, but the uh, Lakers and the Dodgers winning uh, the championships. And so that helped uh, at home because I, I think I was able to get my kids hooked for life. Now they're, uh, they're nine and 11. So I think they're, oh, cool. uh, they're, they're lifers now, which, is, which is cool. And then I was also thinking about it um, this morning you know, we just invested in a company in Tampa and uh, LA won two of the championships this year and uh, Tampa won the other two. Yeah. So they I won guess the Super Bowl. Now, <laughs> yeah, they won the Super Bowl and the, and the hockey. They won the NHL championship uh, as well. So between uh, my hometown and this, uh, Tampa, where I've got a portfolio company now, we got we got we got a lockdown on uh, championships. Uh, on a personal note, on my on my side here, I, I kind of used to watch the Knicks play, but I've kind of given up on them. But well, you know, we got our fingers crossed. You know, they're almost at five hundred this year, so maybe they'll maybe this 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 will be year for them. Well, look it up. <laughs> Well, Andrew, thanks again for joining us. Uh, it's been really great to talk about 3i. And so you think you're going to have a pretty good year in 2021 uh, looking ahead? You got some good deals in the pipeline? Yeah, well, we just we just signed one that hasn't closed yet. So that's, that'll get done soon. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, yeah, we, we definitely feel like we have a good pipeline, lots of good opportunities. So yeah, we're very excited for the year, uh, excited about our portfolio and excited about a number of the new deals we have to pursue during the year. So definitely. Okay, well, that's it for Behind the Buyouts with Andrew Olenek, Partner and Managing Director of 3i in its New York City office. Thanks again, Andrew. Thanks, Steve. This is Steve Jelsey for The Deal, signing off.